If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, leading ladies. Welcome to the Woman Physicians Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, a two-time best-selling author, speaker, family physician, and executive leadership coach with over 20 years experience of providing primary care and serving as a healthcare leader. If you are a woman physician ready to make a change in your career and have a seat at the leadership table, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to provide you with the crucial skills you need to be a successful leader and strategies to deal with workplace challenges. So put on your headphones and listen as we explore the new world of building women physician leaders. Hello, leading ladies, and welcome back to another episode of the Women Physicians Lead Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lisa Herbert, board-certified family physician, best-selling author, speaker, and executive leadership coach. I am excited today to bring you our new guest, Dr. Geralda Xavier. So I'm going to read her bio, um, which is amazing. You're going to hear a little bit about her story and her journey. And then we're going to ask her some questions that I know that will resonate with a lot of the listeners here. So Dr. Geralda Xavier is a highly skilled physician executive with more than 15 years of experience in clinical care and medical staff leadership. She is a board certified emergency medicine physician and maintains national certifications in clinical practice. She has a strong reputation for being a change management champion using robust process improvement fostering team engagement, and promoting psychological safety across disciplines and departments. Dr. Xavier's current role is Chief Medical Officer for Hackettstown and Newton Medical Centers at Atlantic Health System. She previously served as Chief Quality Officer and Associate Chief Medical Officer for NYC Health and Hospitals in Kings County. At Hackensack and Newton Medical Centers, Dr. Xavier plays a pivotal role in supporting and advancing physician engagement, integration, and alignment with both hospitals and within Atlantic Health System. She also works to strengthen relationships between the organization and the medical staff, which encompasses both employed and private community physicians. Working closely with hospital leadership, clinical leaders, and leaders across Atlantic Health, Dr. Xavier is responsible for overseeing the quality and patient safety initiatives within both medical centers. Dr. Xavier earned her Bachelor of Arts in Chemistry from Brooklyn College. She earned her Doctor of Medicine and Master of Public Health at Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and a Master of Business Administration from Haslam College of Business at the University of Tennessee. Dr. Xavier is also a Safety, Quality, Informatics, and Leadership Fellow from Harvard School of Medicine Institute for Healthcare Improvement, Improvement Advisor, Fellow of America's Essential Hospitals, and a certified Lean Six Sigma Green Belt. 
So again, I'm honored to have Dr. Geralda Xavier here with us today. So welcome, Dr. Xavier, to the Women Physician Leads podcast. Thank you for having me, Dr. Herbert. It's a pleasure to be here with you and your listeners today. Absolutely. So I can't wait to get into this discussion. And I have to just say also that um, I didn't know that you were a Brooklynite. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am. I spent <laughs> almost all my formative years in Brooklyn, including undergrad, and then have uh, since uh, moved out of Brooklyn, but uh, have worked, as you can see, lately uh, uh, of last um, at Kings County uh at Health and Hospital, Kings County um, Center for about seven years. Uh, so it's still part of my, uh, tugs my heartstrings. Yes. So. so that's, that was great to see because I'm also a Brooklynite. So I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, I actually lived probably about 20 minutes from Kings County Hospital. So, um, so yeah. it's great to meet someone who also shares that same experience. So my first question I have for you today is, um, thinking about your career and your leadership journey, who or what may have been instrumental in that decision? Thanks for that question. It was a little bit challenging thinking about that because, you know, I've had the privilege of having a challenging, but I would say a successful progressive career um, over the last almost uh, 20 years or so and uh, emergency medicine, as well as a physician leader um, in department, as well as institutions. But I, as I reflect, I want to say that it, was, it hasn't always been that way. You know, I knew for a while that I wanted to be a physician, but I, I had no idea why. Um, we, in my family, there, there are no physicians in my immediate or extended family, um, even to today. Um, I must, as I reflect, because given our audience and the space we're in right now in healthcare and women in healthcare, during my college, I was really uh, steered away from medicine and really looking at uh, to pursue and was told to pursue nursing, which is a very noble profession. Uh, but I was fortunate to have met a really amazing women physician of color who basically, I would say, took me under her wing and really provided that emotional support during those years when you doubt yourself and really helped mentor, encourage and guide me um, to pursue my dream of becoming a physician. Um, and as I reflect, I, I would have probably not pursued medicine uh, without her constant guidance and wisdom, sort of like a second mom. Um, and really it bolstered my confidence um, to really persevere and endure. So. Fast forwarding though, uh, I was fortunate that when I joined as a junior faculty uh, physician, I joined a department that I thought was very innovative and transformative um, in the processes that it took on, in the workspaces, in the initiatives um, to improve patient safety and quality. And I was fortunate to be part of many of those uh, successful departmental initiatives and um, really it was during that time that I was recognized as someone that had, you know, uh, problem solving skills, ability to lead successful projects. In addition, uh, fortunate to have had teaching recognition by residents and students. Uh, early sponsorship was certainly uh, provided, which was uh, a really big in reflection, really uh, mo monumental given what we know today. And that helped encourage, and they helped encourage uh, to take on these leadership opportunities, uh, which really led to my first uh, leadership role as an associate medical director. 
Um, so at that time, <laughs> it's interesting. At that time, I, I really wasn't looking at leadership opportunities or roles. I was busy raising a toddler. Uh, but it seemed that I had some qualities or leadership qualities and skill set um, and and had the privilege to continue my, my leadership journey ever since. So really was fortunate to have a good beginning of early mentorship and sponsorship. Yeah, and that's, you know, something I think that's resonated with most of my guests and probably most of us who are women and women of color in medicine is really having early on those mentors, those sponsors and those people who really support um, you know, our journey when yeah. it came to just getting into medical school, becoming a physician, and then, you know, subsequently um taking on a leadership role. So, so thank you for sharing that. So my next question I have for you is, what does a day as a woman physician leader in your role, what does that look like? Whom do you serve and what challenges do you face? Yeah, excellent question. Um, in, you know, I think, think of that as, as a practicing physician. Uh, my day sort of varies depending on uh, organizational priorities if we focus on the work at this point. But it really includes you know, having key meetings with stakeholders on strategic initiatives and priorities for this for the uh, system or the institution. Um, you mentioned earlier, really working with employed and independent providers on alignment and institutional priorities, and really trying to understand the why, trying to engage them in a way that's, uh, that focuses on our patient um, and our patient uh, experiences. Uh, also supporting and contributing to work done with uh, health equity and patient safety, uh, which is paramount for us to have the outcomes and data-driven outcomes that we seek, um, especially when you look at quality through the lens of uh, health equity and, and, and safety. Um, really uh, also uh, planning and designing and creating educational content for our GME in quality improvement, because as you know, in order to be able to help to change or to pursue the things that we want to focus on in terms of our health outcomes for, for our community, we really need tools to help guide us how to do structured problem solving. And that comes to our early higher learners, such as our residents, or our students. So giving them those tools, I think, help them to feel empowered to help make those changes. Uh, additionally, uh, one of my accolades, as you mentioned, is as an improvement advisor. And I think it's important for us to be able to understand what metrics or what KPIs are we really looking to improve on and really facilitating and growing the knowledge content of um, the team members to be able to do that. One of the things I really love doing is that mentorship. It's almost like, you know, paying it forward, right? Because Someone early on provided me that mentorship. So I really find it time to be able to provide mentorship and guidance, especially to emerging leaders and frankly, especially to women and women of color, because we are still very much underrepresented in leadership roles across health systems and really focusing as well on making sure we meet the needs of our communities that we serve. So uh, it, it's, it's a full day, but it allows also for me to be able to really reflect and, and make sure that I still spend time um, on ensuring a, uh, a healthy and safe uh, community and environment where we work as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. So that's some great information. And I like how you um, mentioned the fact that we need tools to guide us, right? Because I feel a lot of times that we are kind of just thrown into situations and we're sort of forced to come up with a plan or forced to come up with a solution, you know, to a problem. But unless we're really given the proper tools to be able to do that, you know, it becomes very difficult to achieve. So I love, yeah, I love seeing that you are definitely a champion for that. So seeing that your role, you know, really encompasses so much, and I'm sure that your days are are long at times and, and, and that you have certain projects sometimes that are very challenging. Um, We know that as women, as women physicians, it's really important for us to kind of take time away as well. So define for us um, what self-care means to you. What does that look like when it comes to being a woman in leadership? Yeah, that's so, that's so important. Um, Thanks um, for asking. And, you know, many of us say we do that, but how much of us really do that? And I think over the years, I've gotten better. I certainly have been like most uh, really burdened, uh, candle at both ends, so to speak. But for me now, self-care really is intentional. It's making, it means making sure that I find the time and the space for myself without feeling guilty. Because don't we all feel guilty at times, given that Absolutely. we're told as parents, as <laughs> wives, as daughters, as you know, you know how that is. And so it's really, it's reflected in my daily habits of movement, whether it's whether it's training for a race, whether it's simply just taking a walk or a hike, um, it's making sure that I get enough sleep. It's making sure that I make good choices around what I put into my body. So food choices or, or anything like that. And really it's, and, and that supports my mind as well, but it's also really spending time with friends and loved ones, finding that time to connect, to continue to foster that community feel around my, um, my loved ones. Um, but I also think it, it should, uh, it should be practiced in the workspace as well. So I think it's important as leaders that we promote that practice of self-care uh, to support engagement, improve resiliency and decrease burnout in, in, our, our, in our work environment. And so for me, I encourage teams to, to sort of stop, think and prioritize, right? Slow down. Um, you wanna think about, you know, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? If it's not urgent and it's not a priority, then it's okay to prioritize and make sure, and, and it will definitely get done. Um, I think prioritizing will help to take care of you and your teams. I think that, um, you know, if we're always rushing and always, you know, everything is emergent, I think we then foster that same in our teams and they are also doing the same thing and that can really foster a sense of burnout. Um, so I think it's important that we set the stage to help us to make sure that we're stop, we're thinking and prioritize and create an environment where our teams or uh, colleagues where they can perform without stress reacting and be more proactive um, in terms of the work that they have to do. And then only utilizing sort of that, you know, really urgent approach when it's really needed. I think if that falls into place where we could really unpack and make sure that we really focus in on the work that are meaningful, taking on non-value added as much as we can and allowing teams to really be able to create a space of how they do work and support that, I think that would also help in the workspace to to manage uh, self-care and promote self-care and self-awareness 
um, so we can really have that resiliency we talk about. Hey, leading ladies, stay right there and we will be back with my amazing guests. This conversation is so good that you don't want to miss it. So stay tuned. It's time for physicians to rise up, step out, stand out, and take back our place in healthcare to be the respected voice and leader in our communities. My mission is to help physicians transition into leadership roles by equipping them with the personal and professional development skills that they need to be successful and also to help them care for themselves physically, mentally, and spiritually. If you have experience practicing in your given specialty, if you have a gift for innovation and building teams, if you have the ability to bring about change in others, if you have solved problems in your practice setting or community, then there are organizations that need you to claim your rightful seat at the table and lead. If you are ready to be a leader in healthcare and change the status quo, then I invite you to book a complimentary strategy discovery session with me at schedulewithdrlisa.com. That's schedulewithdrlisa.com. and talk about um, diversity and leadership. And I want to really just get uh, ask you, why do you think diversity and leadership as it pertains to having more women physicians, why is that vital to healthcare? Yeah, um, I think what we saw, uh, we know, uh, let me take that back, you know, working toward gender e- uh, uh, equality and equity, sorry, is really important for the profession as well as society as a whole. But what we saw is that in the COVID-19 pandemic, really we saw a significant impact on women, which exposed the underlying fragilities and the exacerbation of existing inequalities, um, including the regressive impact of COVID-19 on gender equality. I think for the, but, but good data lately for the first time in history, we now have more women in medical schools than men, according to data from AMA from 2019 to 2020. Women make up more than half the population that represents many different cultures. Uh, Mm -hmm. Patients also identify themselves by someone who looks like them when they seek care. I think patients may seek or receive great healthcare when, uh, may not receive great healthcare, sorry, when they cannot identify or find providers that are similarly inclined, whether it's because, especially from a gender, we just said that a lot of the population is uh, women um, and a lot of the decision makers are are women. And I think, so I think it's important for that representation to be part of what we see in medicine um, in terms of our uh, taking care of our patients. Additionally, you know, numerous studies have shown that diversity specifically as it relates to women can inspire creativity Um, innovation and productivity. And it also really creates diverse teams, which we know heterogeneous teams tend to have better outcomes. I think also women bring unique qualities and talents um, uh, to our profession uh, in in medicine and in healthcare space, period. Um, But I said, so I believe that to build forward better, we must continue to live up the existing promise of gender equality 
but we have to empower women and girls to really truly level the playing field so that it benefits all of us. I think we need to embrace uh, transformative leadership and we need to shift the perspectives to recognize that women, uh, and I would say that's a quote from you know, Melinda Gates, that women are not just victims of a broken world, but they are architects of a better one. And I think mm, that applies in medicine as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that quote. And yeah. I and I, as I was listening to you, you know, just kind of explain so eloquently um, about why diversity and leadership is important. And especially, you know, you actually referenced about the pandemic and how the um, healthcare disparities were actually magnified, right, during that time and why retaining women and and women of color um, is important to help reduce those disparities. I was also just thinking about, you know, years ago, like when my parents and your parents, you know, had to seek health care as compared to now, Mm -hmm. it's like, wow, what choices they have, right? What choices we have now. Um, So, and I think that's really important, like you said, in terms of um, patients really identifying, you know, with their their healthcare professional. And like you said, we know that the outcomes are much better if a patient is able to be able to feel like, they're seeing someone that they um, can uh, relate to that, you know, that is potentially part of their, what is gender, culture, mm-hmm. et cetera. That, that is critical to how folks heal, so how yes. um, persons heal. And that's really cannot be understated. Absolutely. Yeah. So thinking about, um, and, and these are all things that, you know, on, that have changed, right, over the years, and, and we're continuing yes. to see um, change in healthcare. It's, it's a rapid change that's happen, happening. Sometimes we're not even able to keep up with the change. Um, so, so talking about change and your position as being a change agent and a change management champion, define for us what that actually means. Yeah, I think what I would say to you is that while while it's really challenging to think of change, change we know is a constant, mm-hmm. right? That's a given, but it's really when we think about it, it makes us uncomfortable yes. because we're not accustomed to whatever that is in front of us. So I would suggest that in order to, feed, to, to think of change or change or transformation, it's really that to, empo- to embody the sense of how do we re- be re- align or, or become nimble in as we go through life to then embrace the things that we want to see as outcomes based on what the goals are. So it's really also re- realizing that what are the people and what are the benefits that might be that you may garner from this change process. So I think ultimately you need a why. I think people resonate with something that matters to them, something that impacts them and or their family. Um, having that why, it goes a long way to understanding why you're asking them to, to partake or to journey with you or to embody whatever that change process that you're looking at. And it might be something simple, right? It might be just, you know, instead of having your patients seen at this time of the day, we want it to be at the other time of the day because we realized that in order to meet those needs, we needed to pivot to be able to improve access. We needed to pivot in order to improve um, the ability to see the p- person that you know can deliver that type of care 
It's really building the community of things that you need around a patient, if that's what the center of that change is. So I think in order to do that, though, we got to really, you know, share the why, share the story, be able to collaborate um, with the key stakeholders, be able to have collegial relationship with key stakeholders. And I think it's important to be able to then have a good sense of how to share back what it is that you learned or what it is that you improved. I think small wins during change processes are important to socialize because I think it gives you momentum. So the teams really understand the why and what's in it for them, right? Mm -hmm. It could make their lives a little easier at work because now, you know, you have something that is getting them, either the patients out the door earlier in the hospital or whether it is getting a patient to be able to find the resources to take care of their their loved ones or to get them uh, medication, uh, financial resources to be able to afford their medication. There'll be multiple factors that you may try to, that you might be trying to impact during this change or change journey that you take on. But I think having the why um, is key. And then we talked about making sure you have a structured or, or a process of how to go about doing that work is also key to share with those teams. I hope I was able to sort of share um, sort of how that process can, can look. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, thank you for sharing it. And I think it's important that we all start to embrace some form of change management, right? Or become change agents within our own organizations, um, just for the simple mere fact that um, healthcare is changing (laughs) and it's changing rapidly. And unless we keep up with the momentum, like you said, um, we, we can fall short of achieving our goals. And it's always important, um, and I agree with you 100%, to make sure that teams understand the why. The reason behind the change is not just because you want to just change a system or a workflow. It's There's a reason for it. Yeah. Um, but then identifying you know, what's in it for them as well. Yeah, so that was that a great explanation. Great. Yep. Mm-hmm. That yep, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So the last question I have for you, Dr. Xavier, is what would it take for organizations to support women in healthcare, especially during these times? What three tips can you give our listeners? Yeah, no, thank you um, again, Dr. Herbert, for that question. It, you know, as I answer this question, it, it reminds me that as we speak today, you know, we are celebrating Women in Medicine Month. And so I propose those questions are really critical as to how we move forward as we create space and agency for us to be, um, you know, part of the conversation, part of that inclusive culture as to how we lead in healthcare by embracing more diversity in terms of women. So, you know, I think that definitely we would need to have hiring policies and work environment that recognize the value and support it, be supportive in a substantial way to women. Um, including commitment to salary transparency and less pay disparity is critically important um, for us to be able to continue to uh, be inclusive. I also believe that providing leadership and growth opportunities, including mentorship that we mentioned earlier, mentoring relationships, creating systems that allow for more flexible work schedule, uh, making sure we supply access to supportive professional communities, for women and offering better maternity leave policies and childcare options to encourage a work-life balance and be able to decrease burnout. Um, and I must say, one of the key pieces that I think we also really need to um, be able to create without just checking a box is really to create a more diverse and inclusive employee culture. 
So I really believe some of these are three really good ways for organization to help continue to support, support women. And I think for us is once this is in place, I think you would see more uh, women uh, and, and as well as women of color in academia, enabled to be able to be to be to feel supportive, to feel that they are enough, to feel that they're heard, and that their skills and the talent that they bring to the table are just as crucial as others. Um, as we look at uh, how we can be more of an inclusive culture when coming to gender equity, um, especially women in healthcare. Um, that's, that, those are my thoughts. Yeah. And those are all great tips, actually, because um, it encompasses just um, so much of what I think we continue to strive towards, right? Of things that, that, that we as yeah. women and women of color continue to um, ask for, you know, in our, our, our workspaces and our work environments. And I think those are things that organizations should definitely take heed to and, um, you know, really look to include in the culture, like you said, of, yeah. the, of the workplace and of the organization. So thank you so much for sharing those tips. Thank you for just um, taking time out of your busy day, you know, to be a part of this podcast. You have shared so much information, so much great information with us. And I know the listeners will be um, definitely um, more enriched, you know, once they listen to this podcast. And I want to just, again, just say thank you for being a guest and you're welcome back anytime um, on this podcast. Thank you, Dr. Herbert. It was certainly a pleasure uh, being with you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share my story. And hopefully it's been something that someone else on the audience can resonate with and uh, be able to use some of these tools within their space and be able to continue to help them grow in leadership or any other uh, spaces that they're uh, occupy at this point. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening today and for allowing me to be a part of your career journey. To continue receiving leadership support, I invite you to join our private Facebook group, Building Women Physician Leaders at www.leadingladiesincharge.com. Until next time, take care. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.